0: Reading from my text. So let's read it together. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering. many of you don't know me and that's fine, which person yet the Lord, but uh, I have transitioned from being a pastor at Bergen Park Church to being a missionary. You are my sending body. I am not attached to uh, any other group, but Bergen Park Church, and I am considered a volunteer for an evangelical free church equipping ministry, which we do globally. And I want to explain that to you, uh, what my mission is, and then I want to make the very weird transition into preaching. Um, But the mission is called Pathway Trainers, we go to developing nations and we help the national church. We choose, or the national church chooses pastors and church leaders, and we don't teach them the Bible, but we teach them how to study the Bible. If you were to go to Indonesia and go to one of their churches, you would find out that the typical pastor has anywhere from a sixth grade to maybe a high school education. That person is now married, with a family, and has a full-time job. Their preparation has been working within a church, but also attending a nine-month Bible uh, Institute where they got a certificate, and that is where they were taught the Bible but they were never taught how to study the Bible. So they have the Bible in their own language, but they have no other resources than this. And their translation is the 1465 King James Bible, which they, have, they hope to update at some time, but they just don't have the resources to do it. So we go in and we use their Bible in their language, and we use translators, but we understand that they have no other resources in the. They don't even have a study Bible. Friends, I probably spent close to thirty to forty thousand dollars on a library to help me explain the Bible to you. Imagine the difference when this is all they have in an ancient language which they really don't understand. So that is what we are dealing with. When they preach on Sundays, they have two options. They can download someone else's messages, but because most of them don't speak fluent English, they don't come to us. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. Uh, There are certain passages which I hope you don't download. Uh, Or they can come up with their own passage and here's what they usually do. This morning we'll be in 2 Timothy. Um, they, they have a great phrase in Indonesia where I go. Apparently the first cell phones were made by HP. I didn't know that. Uh, but they were made by Hewlett Packard. And so whenever they talk about their cell phones, it's HP HP. And so they say, turn or in their own language, open your hepa-hepa. And then be careful, which is hottie hottie So open your hepa-hepa, hottie hepa, hottie And I stand there in amazement going, how do they do this? Um, when they download their own passage, or their own message, or when they do their own messages, uh, they will go to something like 2 Timothy, where I'll be today. And they will be looking at chapter 3. And they will focus on this, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be fully equipped ready for every good work. And they will look at the passage and they'll say that's what I'm preaching on. There's a problem here and there's nothing necessarily wrong with doing that message. But if they only preach those two verses, they will have missed what Timothy was picking up from Paul as he read the letter originally. So what they are saying is true. We call that uh, topical preaching. And by the way, there's some really good topical preaching. And, and, And I encourage you to do it. But if someone is trying to take you through an entire book of the Bible, you've got to slow down and realize that there are words that come before verses 15 and 16 and words that come after. And they mean something to verses 15 uh, 15 and 16 and 17. So this is what they are faced with. And we go in and we teach nine workshops once every four months. So it's a commitment of about three years. And we take the same group of people and we take them through workshops or we, we teach them the, the skills and the tools of personal Bible study. Now, I will share this in my message, but I just want you to know that personal Bible study was the last thing I picked up as a young Christian. I was given a, a little pocket New Testament and as a new Christian and... I'll let you know, I was in my late teens and early 20s. I thought that was the whole Bible. And not only did I think it was the whole Bible, but I didn't read it anyway. So if I looked at this passage, I would be going, oh, okay, well, let's preach on the inerrancy of Scripture, something I never read. I'm not the only one who's like that. And many of the pastors are the same. They are so pressed with all of their responsibilities and they only have a little time to give to their churches. So we work on giving them the skills and the tools. We also uh, demand that they multiply their teaching. In other words, once they have finished the first workshop in Jonah, we say now you're to go back to your church and you're to teach your church Jonah. Four chapters Four messages and then we want you to take a small group out of your church and we want you to teach them the same workshop that you just went through and by the way if you don't do it and I know this sounds a bit rough don't come back for the second workshop when we did this in my first trip in March one of the churches really wasn't prepared, but the second church was. And while we were gone in those three months, they had gone on the road with a team of up to 12 people teaching the Jonah workshop, and they had taught it four times in different uh, uh, churches in their district. By the time we came back for the second workshop, they reported we've now trained 60 people who are each training, we think, will be a total of about 400 people. At the end of the nine workshops, we only go back to encourage them, not to teach them. To continue to do this ministry, uh, you are my sending body, and I need your help. So... um, Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. I I need your prayers, and I need your money. Okay? And I think I'll leave it at that. But I I want you to know that uh, I didn't quite understand what would happen in the first workshop that I went with a team and helped teach. But when we came back four months later, we were amazed at what God was doing and um, if you've ever been uh, a teacher or a pastor, this is the closest thing to addiction to cocaine than I can think of. I love to see people grow in, the Christ, grow in Christ because that's what happened to me. Until I learned what it was like to do personal Bible study I was really dependent on everyone else to tell me what the Bible was all about. So now, let me make that transition into my message. Um, there'll be a little repetition, but I was uh, watching on YouTube, yes, I do, I do know, have YouTube, and apparently there's a new technology out where with just a short video of you in your prime and maybe a little voice recording, um, they can, through AI or whatever, I didn't, again, I don't know what I'm talking about here, but through AI or something like that, while you were on your deathbed and looking as ugly as death can look, they can produce something while you were in your prime, and you can give your last words and your last wishes that'll show up on a video to anybody who wants to see it. Can you imagine that? That you would look like you were 35 again. And you would be saying things that you weren't thinking about until you were in your late 70s. Not only would you be good looking, but you'd finally be wise. (laughs) And now this can all be done through the wonders of technology. But I ask you a question through this technology, which do you think is more important? Do you, want, do you want to be remembered for how you looked? Or do you want to remember, be remembered for who you are? I think we can be fooling ourselves if we think the 40-year-old or the 30-year-old is how we want to be remembered. I say that because as we come to 2 Timothy, written almost 2,000 years ago, Paul is giving his last wishes. And he's giving them to his son in the faith, a a young man called Timothy. And these two are found together starting in Acts chapter 16. And they go all the way through pretty much to Paul's uh, execution, uh, which goes beyond Acts 28. They have traveled from city to city, they proclaiming Jesus Christ together as God's son and our savior. They also find themselves suffering together often. Though when you read the book of Acts, Paul is the one who is enduring the more severe uh, persecutions. At this time, as Paul writes it, it's not Acts 28, but something in Acts 29, which was never written. He is now in prison in Rome, He is not under house arrest, but he understands that now under Nero's reign, his time is up. His execution is near. So he writes to Timothy, and he writes with the best technology of the time, giving his last wishes. And he's writing to his son in the faith, but also to a young disciple and to a pastor of a church that he dearly loves. And when you read it, you realize Paul is talking as a spiritual father to a spiritual son. But he's also talking like a mentor or like a coach. And friends in 2 Timothy, he's talking sometimes like a drill sergeant. And he's doing this all at once. It is personal and it is intense. And Timothy is the one he has poured his life to, and he looks at Timothy now as the vanguard of the next generation of Christian leaders, as most of the apostles will be executed in the years to come, if not already. So Paul's last wishes are filled with commands. And part of the training I do as we are studying 2 Timothy or Jonah is we want to teach people what we call the skills of observation. And that means that as they look at a passage and slow down and read it slowly and pray over it intensely, that they are looking for five basic things in their observations. First, is there a key word in the passage that that you are reading? Like if you see uh, the word forgiven, That's important. If you see the word saved. In scripture, saved has many meanings. So that's important. You want to know which one it is. If you see the word repentance, that's important. So you're looking for key words. You're looking for commands, repetitions, contrasts and surprises. And 2 Timothy is filled with commands. But as one Carefully reads 2 Timothy, especially this passage, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 17. You realize that, unlike the rest of the book, as you compare it, there's not as many commands in this passage. And you go, well, why not? Well, the passage doesn't answer it, but maybe we can come up with a conclusion. This is, what you, uh, this is how you understand as you read slowly. And all, you put together all the elements of good uh, observations. And this time you see there's almost no commands in this passage. Now as we do uh, S- Second Timothy, especially in Africa, and uh, this is a report that I've heard. I'm not planning on going to Africa myself. But as they go through 2 Timothy, as they read it, they say every time you come to a command... Just stop and say, ding! Practice that. Um, What's a good command? Obey God. Okay, so when we read this passage together, when you see a command, just go ding. And be very careful because you may be the only ding. But do it anyway, it's okay. But as we go through 2 Timothy, and especially certain of the passages, there's just dings everywhere. And you get to so many dings that the Africans just go into uncontrollable laughter. They can't stop laughing, but what do they realize? Oh, this passage, which I'm about to teach soon to my own congregation, is just one command after another, Paul teaching his dear friend, his, his son in the faith, the important things of what he's supposed to do as a Christian leader. So let's go now to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. And um, by the way, when I go, all I'm allowed to take is the Bible that you have under your seats. There are no notes, um, there's no cross-references, There's, uh, it's just the text. And that's what we want them to do. So uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. Let's read it together. Uh, I'm not gonna, can we read it together? Okay. Yeah, I'll do it this way, instead of reading from my text. So let's read it together. You, however... While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. What's the command? What? Continue. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Good job. You can, you know, you can. G- I'll let you into the next workshop. Okay, let's keep reading. 14. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is what everybody quotes, okay? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you do not do the whole passage, if you do not begin with verse 10, where it says, you, however, what you are missing is a, a, like a balance. If you just do the importance of Scripture, you're missing a balance of one of the resources that Paul has to have. As I see here... Uh, there is a, uh, a great example that Paul gives as well as a, a great promise. So when you see you, however, you understand that there is a contrast there. One of the methods of observation, one of the tools of observation that we use. And so as a summary, he is warning them of what, what Paul just said in the past. And that passage, In verses 1 to 9 begins with, now beware because in the last days there'll be, the world's going to go crazy. That's a summary, but the world's going to go crazy. Uh, They will be put up front as if they are good people, but they will prove that they are narcissistic hedonists who are only out for themselves. They will lead the weak astray and brag about what new things that they are learning. And they are the only ones who are getting this message from God. But their great learning denies the timeless truth of God who is both almighty and all-knowing. And then it goes forward to verse 13. And again, Paul alludes to the crazy times that are coming. He said the wicked ones of, his, of these last days are saying that, uh, 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 saying that evil people and impostors will be going from bad to worse and they'll be both deceiving and being deceived. What is Paul's world that he speaks about in such, a degraded, in such a degraded humanity? You see, in Rome, we know historically that it's a time of relative peace. But it's also a culture where what you are trying to do is be connected to the power sources of your region. So personal values and ethics, whatever you choose, will it get you closer to the ones in power. And many of them make their choices only so that they can climb the ladder. No matter what damage it might do to others. It's a mindset that claims you come first. It's a lifestyle that shows it and proves it. Aren't we glad we're not living in a time like that? Aren't, aren't, isn't it wonderful that we have evolved beyond such base? Humanity, here's the truth. Human nature is corrupt. Therefore, people who are humans are corrupt. I'm a person, a part of humanity. I'm corrupt. Now, you may not be, but I am. So he's giving this warning, and the way that it connects is, here's, what the, here's where the world is going. But then he says, you, however, and he gives them uh, like two resources that if you don't do the whole passage, you will miss it. The, res- the first resource that he gives is his own example. Timothy's first resource is the fact that he has lived with Paul, he has traveled with Paul, he has listened to Paul, he has watched Paul for a period of years. And he knows that what Paul says is who Paul is. So in verses 10 to 11, it's just a long list of Paul's character and Paul's nature. I would be very careful about putting reminders up of what a great example I am Paul is bold as he compares himself to the world around him he says you need to stick to me I'm your best example but he's also realistic and he says by living such a life and teaching such a message as the gospel of Jesus Christ it comes with a cost and the cost is sufferings and persecutions As you follow the book of Acts, you can record many, many times in which Paul is persecuted, beaten, attempts made on his life, and then he's jailed. And many of those times, Timothy is right there next to him. He's witnessing all the ill treatment and sometimes sharing it. Paul is a great example to Timothy of how to live, how to endure, how to follow Jesus Christ with that sheer dogged endurance that not everybody has. And then he gives them this promise in verse 12. I don't want to hear this, but it's there. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now in my life, I've been ridiculed for my faith. I became a Christian late in in high school and um, the change was somewhat immediate, and they started to call me names, which I didn't like, um, and talk behind my back, but that's not persecution. I've lost friends, but that's not persecution. I've been questioned by government officials, not in this country, but another one, but that's not persecution. I've been verbally criticized in my own church. Take a number, stand in line. You have good reason, but that's not persecution. I hope that doesn't mean that I'm living an ungodly life, but I'm living in a country where godliness is still, in some regions, uh, respected. So his first great resource for Timothy, this young pastor, is to remember who Paul is, what he was like, and emulate this best example of a Christian that you can think of. Now, the resource number two is what we see from verse 14 and beyond. It begins, but, but as for you. Now, there's, if you're making good observations, you realize that's the second contrast. The passage in verse 10 begins with you, however... And then as we go to verse 14, but as for you, it's a contrast um, from what was just written about evil people who will deceive and be deceived. Now, verse 14 does not seem, well, let's go to verse 14. Can you put it up there? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe knowing whom you have learned it. From whom you've learned it. And um, we know that even from uh, this letter. That Timothy had a godly grandmother and a, and, a, and a godly mother. But apparently not a believing father. That's all in scripture. But um, he's also learned it from Paul. And the other people in Paul's team. And then now go to uh, verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Another skill that we teach as we're uh, among, for me, among the Indonesian leaders is uh, we have to learn to ask good questions. We just can't make assumptions. Maybe you've asked this question. What are are the sacred writings? What are they? You know, the passage doesn't tell us, does it? He just assumes that Timothy knows because Timothy is acquainted with the sacred writings through his grandmother, through his mother, and through Paul, and through all the other apostolic band that he has sent time with. So... By asking good questions, we learn to identify what we do not yet understand, and that takes us on a journey where we can maybe better grasp the meaning of the passage. And so verse 14 gives us some clues. Go back to verse 14, please. These are the writings that he knows, and he, Timothy, has firmly believed. These are the writings that Timothy has learned from childhood and has learned them from trusted sources. His grandmother, his mother, Jewish believers, taught Timothy what we call the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. We know that Timothy heard Paul proclaim Jesus consistently uh, to the Jews first, using the sacred writings of the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah that they had been looking for, but not the Messiah that they expected. To the Jews, the gospel was a scandal because the Messiah that, that Paul proclaimed was one who was crucified. No, the Messiah they are looking for is one who's gonna kick the heinies of the Romans and get rid of them. But Paul used the Old Testament and especially as he spoke to the Jews, to bring them to faith in Christ Jesus. And here's what Paul says about those sacred writings, that they are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Sometimes you look at a phrase and you wonder, or a sentence and you wonder you know, what it's like, and, and, and so you say, well, maybe if I paraphrase, it, it would make a little more sense to me. And then many of you have Bibles that are paraphrases, and you can go and you can get, whether it's the message or the living New Testament, you, you can go and, and, and see how that writer, how, how he paraphrased it. But if I can paraphrase it correctly, it's saying this. If you are open to letting the New Testament speak about the promised Messiah that you have longed for, It will lead you to placing your faith in Jesus as God's son, our our Savior and the Messiah that you have so long desired. Now, that is the end of verse 15. But in every Bible that I own, the paragraph ends at verse 17. And this is, again, one of the first verses that I memorized as a new Christian, and Here is how it goes. All scripture is breathed out by God, says your translation, and that's what we use overseas, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's no command there. Now, if you stare at those two verses and just slowly read them again and again and again, another good question comes up. And that is, how do verses 16 and 17 relate to the sacred writings which Timothy knew from childhood? One of the skills we teach is looking for a connecting word between one thought in Scripture and the one that follows it. Or one thought and the one that precedes it. These are called Connecting words, they're words like therefore, because, uh, consequently, uh, uh, like, uh, it just goes on and on, but you realize that the way that the letters were written, Paul takes one thought, then he takes a second thought, and in between are some really important words that let you have a feeling for how those two fit together. Verses 16 and 17 have no connecting words, do they? They just stand there alone. They're just there. So what do we do? Well, I think we let them stand there. We don't tell them what to do or how they're to relate. We just let them stay there. With no connecting words, as we were teaching our Indonesian church leaders how to do this passage and they had to give a five minute presentation uh, on, on this passage, uh, they all made up words. Well, that's fine. Most of them said, uh, uh, because all scripture is inspired by God. And one said, and all scripture is inspired by God. But even their text just said, all scripture is inspired by God. It stands alone. But I think it's very easy to say that Paul equates the sacred writings known by Timothy with all scripture that he uses in verse 16. And all scripture is both breathed out by God. And if you look carefully, it is a second thing that it does and it is profitable. So when we say it is breathed out by God, we mean God is the intimate source for the scriptures that we're looking at. Uh, all through school, for some reason, all of my English teachers love Shakespeare. I hate Shakespeare. I never understand Shakespeare. I think Shakespeare, to be called a classic, I would say as a 16 to 18-year-old, you've got to be kidding. Some of you felt the same. He's hard. But as great as Shakespeare is, he was not breathed out by God. As great as the Lord of the Rings may be as a trilogy, it was not breathed out by God. As great as the romance novels that I read every night before I go to bed, they are not, they are not breathed out by God. But it does tell us that something that's nowhere else in Scripture, that God seems to be intimately involved as the source of Scripture. But he also has a practical goal for his scripture. That it would be profitable for teaching. In other words, it should be revealing of God and and God honoring. So that you could teach it and God would be uplifted through your teaching. But his scripture is also good for reproving and correcting us. means that we have to allow God-breathed scripture... To point out our errors in our life and in our thoughts. And for correction, meaning put us back on the right path. His scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. Or how God intends for his creation to live under his leadership and his kingship. We want to become more like Jesus. And it's profitable to get us there. So if you could become more like Jesus through continuing in what you have learned, is that enough motivation to make the careful Bible study a regular part of your life? It was for me. As I mentioned, I became a Christian in 1965. For five years, I had a Bible. I went through the process of listening to uh, good teachers give great messages and so almost all that i was learning is through somebody speaking to me but if you said what does the bible say i couldn't tell you if you would have said what does pastor ray tell you i could remember that's not bad it's a good start then i memorized verses because my friends were all memorizing verses and i didn't want to look stupid So I memorized verses like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And that went pretty well. And one of the ones that I, you know, like I said, I assumed that when I said all scripture, it meant the only Bible I had, a New Testament. Then I went through a phase where I bought Christian books that are written on Bible themes like witnessing and making choices, the use of money, apologetics, Christian and, uh, Christians and science, et cetera. And I love those books and I love those authors, but I still was not reading my Bible. I let others much more experienced than me who are smart enough to be published to do the work for me. Then a man that I will always revere as one of the primary influences of my life, I won't tell you how old I was because I'm embarrassed. He said, Jim, do you know how to let the Bible feed you on your own? And I said, no. And so he took me and started me on a journey where we simply asked three questions every time we opened the Bible. What does it say? What does it mean? What am I supposed to do about it? And as I've developed and grew as a Christian and went to seminary and bought $30,000 of really good books, um, I kept going back to this person. And whether I did it on paper or not, every time I had a message, I made sure that I asked those three questions. What does this passage say? What does it mean? And maybe I don't understand what it means. That's okay. That's where you begin to ask questions. And what should I do about it? Does it lead me to some sort of difference in my behavior or or thought life? And I have been on that journey ever since. And I invite you to join me. In October, I'll lead another workshop on Jonah. And I want to warn you, Jonah is one of the most artistically written books of the centuries. It is amazing how it fits together. And I got bogged down. Can someone really be swallowed by a fish and live? It is amazing. And more than that, you will see a picture of God that blows your minds. So, I'll lead that workshop for six weeks um, on, on Jonah. And I invite you that we can learn the skills of careful Bible study together, knowing what it means to make observations. So, here we are with Paul's last words: four chapters, 2 Timothy. He doesn't have a video where he can look like he's a young Pharisee again. He doesn't have a voiceover that can make him sound like, you know, Darth Vader. He doesn't have that as a resource. But he tells you what was important to him and therefore what is important to Timothy. Can you say this? if you were coming up to your last words, can you say, I have made it my life's goal goal, to follow Jesus faithfully? Not perfectly, but to follow him faithfully as I discover him in the Bible. Those would be last words that the audience would listen to. Let's pray. Almighty God. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Oh, how we love your law. At least for me, it is supposed to be my meditation all the day. Father, in your book, and we do not worship your book. But in your book, we find you, your son and your spirit, whom we are to glorify, whom we are to obey and follow all of our lives. Whether it be through a workshop or anything else, I pray for each one of this congregation that what you have breathed out for us would be breathed in to us. And we would be people who honor you through growing in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.